you, choir. Thank you, Tom. I hope you will make plans to be here tonight as it will be a great time of worshiping our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Tom always does a great job leading us uh, to worship in spirit and truth. And I'm looking forward to tonight and hope that you will uh, make plans to be here as well. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, chapter 14. Uh, my name is Michael. If you are a guest, I'm the uh, pastor or minister to children and families here. And uh, thankful for this opportunity today to look into God's Word and to see what the Lord would have to say to us today. We'll be in Exodus chapter 14 today. We're going to be looking pretty much at this whole chapter. But as we begin, I'd like to read just verses 13 and 14. And then we will go, take off from there. Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 through 14. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only to be silent. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for the God that you are, a God who loves, a God who is all-powerful, a God who can save. And so, Father, we thank you that you have given us your word, and God, I pray that you would Convict our hearts where it needs to be convicted. God, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, that you would bring comfort to those who bring comfort. And God, that you would glorify yourself through it all. In Christ's name, amen. It's Friday night in October of 1999. Nicholas White, a 34-year-old production manager at Business Week in New York City, was working late. He had just watched the Braves beat the Mets on television in the office pantry. And now he was going outside to, to take a break and get some fresh air. He told his colleagues he'd be right back. And leaving behind his jacket, he headed downstairs. The magazine office was on the 43rd floor of the McGraw and Hill building, and after White had gotten some fresh air, he returned to the lobby and got into elevator 30 and pressed the button marked 43. The elevator accelerated quickly. It was an express elevator with no stops below the 39th floor. The building was pretty much deserted, but after a moment, White felt a jolt. 
The lights went out and immediately flashed again. And then the elevator stopped. The control panel made a beep. And White waited a moment expecting to hear a voice to offer information or instruction. But there was no voice. He pressed the intercom button, but there was no response. He hit it again and then began, began pacing around the elevator, but nothing. No watch, no cell phone, no food, no water. His only substance was a pack of Rolades. He would later say Rolades aren't a very good meal. The most difficult part of the ordeal, he said, was 41 hours trapped in an elevator without water. At one point, White thought he would die of dehydration. Eight different security guards failed to spot him on the elevator camera during that time. Not a religious man, White prayed for help, and finally Sunday at 4 p.m., White, who was nearly delirious from thirst, heard a voice on the intercom asking if anyone was there. Finally, he was rescued. Trapped in an elevator for 41 hours. This morning I asked you, have you ever felt trapped or faced an impossible situation. Hopefully you have not been trapped in an elevator, but maybe trapped in a job you despise. Maybe trapped at a party with no way home. Trapped at a family event and you just wanted to get out. <laughs> not me, of course. I love my family at all times. Trapped in a storm you did not see coming. Well, in our biblical text this morning, we're going to see that the people of God are trapped. And it seems there is no way out. There's a sea in front of them and there's a raging Egyptian army coming from behind. What are they going to do? The beautiful thing is we're not only going to see that the people are trapped, we are going to see the glorious salvation of our God. When there seems to be no way, God makes a way. He says, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. This morning, let me catch you up on where we are in our text. For over 400 years, the Egyptians have been enslaved. You'll remember from Genesis, the Israelites are in Egypt because there was a famine in the land. You'll remember Jacob, whose name is also Israel, who had 12 sons, right? His Joseph gets sold off to slavery. And it's at what man intended for evil, God meant for good. And as Joseph is there in Egypt, he rises in power and he's actually second in command. And so when the drought comes... Jacob or Israel leads his people or go to Egypt and there Joseph provides for them. The people settle in the land and there they become numerous. God blesses them. 
And so as they are blessed by God, the Egyptians see this and they are afraid. There's so many of them. They might overtake us. So what do they do? They enslave the Israelite people. Not only do they enslave the Israelite people, they begin killing the baby boys, right? And you'll remember in Exodus chapter 2, there's this one baby who's put in a basket. And as he's put in this basket there, God providentially has there the princess and her servant there. They save this baby. He grows up in the palace. He sees the treatment of his own people. He, he kills an Egyptian and then has to flee because he fears for his own life. And now time has passed as he is away and there as he's a shepherd, a burning bush appears, right? You know the story. And, 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 and God speaks to Moses and says, you are to go. And you are to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And of course, Moses, like me and probably like you, has a hundred different excuses. I can't speak. What do I say if you're, what do I say who your name is? What if they ask who your name, what am I to say? Send someone else. God says, you are to go. And so Moses goes and Pharaoh doesn't listen, of course, and then there's plague after plague after plague until finally the tenth plague, the killing of the firstborn of Pharaoh, killing of the firstborn son, Pharaoh says, okay, you can go. The people now are set free. For over 400 years they've been enslaved. To put that in perspective, that's like since 1623 to now. That is a long time the people have been enslaved, and now God had delivered his people. They're journeying together, and there's a, a pillar of cloud by day leading them, a pillar of fire by night that is directing them. And today we read of one of the most significant events in all the Old Testament. This event is mentioned in Deuteronomy and Joshua and Psalms and Daniel and Nehemiah and Isaiah, Acts and Hebrews. And from this chapter this morning, I want to point out four truths for you today. Four different truths that we can learn today. And the first truth is this. We see in verses 1 through 4, is the Lord provides salvation for His glory. The Lord provides salvation for His glory. Let's look at verses 1 through 4 and read these verses. I'll try my best to pronounce some of these words. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Herthroth, between Mildog and, in, and, and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. The Lord is leading his people. And he tells Moses to encamp by a sea. Now this seems like a strange command because there are mountains on the side, there's a sea in front of him, and it 
obviously leaves them exposed if the Egyptian army seemed to change their mind and come after him. But yet they trust the Lord and they are there encamped by the sea. The Lord is leading them though to be pinned against the sea in a desert with no escape. What type of general, what type of leader would lead his people in this direction? Right? Where is the wisdom of God does not God does not know that the people could be trapped. Yet God has a plan. When we only see part of the puzzle, God sees the whole picture. And he's going to do everything for his glory. Let me tell you a secret. God has the whole thing rigged. Just like the Tennessee game yesterday? <laughs> no, just teasing, just teasing, just teasing, just teasing, just teasing. Just shouldn't have went there, shouldn't have went there. <laughs> he has it rigged. God will accomplish his purposes. God cannot be stopped. And so he leads the people there to be trapped in the sea. And, Israel, and Pharaoh is going to see this and say, oh, they are easy, pray for us. But yet the Lord is sovereignly using his tactic to deceive Pharaoh. And God is going to accomplish his purpose. Why does he do it this way? What does verse 4 says? I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. God says, I am doing this so that I might be glorified. He's saying this, I want the glory. God's motive for saving his people is for the praise of his own glory. God does all that he does so that he might be praised and that the Egyptians and others might know who he is. We see this same thing in verse number 14. If you want to go ahead, not 14, excuse me, verse 17 and 18 we see this same phrase. He says, And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. God is a God who's ultimately concerned with his own glory. And God brings salvation to us, not simply for our own good, but in order that He might be known and glorified. Right? It's not anything great in us that God sees in us and says, Oh, I need Him on my team. No, God calls rebels. He calls sinners to turn from their sin and trust in Him in order that He might be glorified and He can display His love and mercy. God did not save you because you're a great businessman. God did not save you because you have lots of money or well-educated. God did not save you because you have a great mind or a great job. No, God saves because of His grace and mercy that He might, re that he might receive the glory. Listen to Romans. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. 
This is who we were. It says, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous man, though for perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Did you hear those words? Weak, ungodly, still sinners, enemies. But yet God in his mercy... He saves. He saves, not because of any righteous deed, not because of anything we've done, but because of His great love and mercy in order that He might receive glory. So the first truth we see this morning, I want you to see from this text, is that the Lord provides salvation for His glory. But second, the story continues. Secondly, I want you to see we are tempted to forget God's work and desire our old lives in verses 5 through 12. We are tempted to forget God's work and desire our old lives. The king of Egypt, you'll see in verse 5, I'll just read that. When the king of Egypt was told that the people have fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? Pharaoh says, "Uh uh-oh, what was I thinking? He begins to second guess himself, right? If you ever had those moments when you think, oh, why did I do that? Should I have done that? But this seems pretty odd to me because I can think of at least 10 reasons why he did what he did in letting the Israelites go, right? God sent ten plagues. There were, there were, the land was filled with gnats and flies and animals and were dying and there was darkness and there was bulls on the people. And but yet Pharaoh soon forgot God's work. The Lord hardens his heart. He gathers his army. He gets his chariots with all his horsemen and the army begins pursuing after Israel. He hadn't forgotten. We are all tempted to forget God's work. But not only that, we see the Egyptians, their response in verses 10 through 12. They say this, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. Behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, They said to Moses, It is because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. We have done to us in bringing us out of Egypt. Is it not this what we have said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. The people are trapped. And what is their response? They're afraid. They want to go back. But they too have forgotten God's miraculous salvation. How he has led them by a pillar of fire. He has led them by a pillar of cloud. And how God is in control. Their fear 
seizes them. The people had forgotten God's work. All they could see was the problem before them, and they failed to live by faith. They say, Moses, are there not enough graves in Egypt? Sarcastically, the Egyptians specialized in making graves. They say it would be better for us to serve in Egypt than to die in Israel. They're going to Moses. I told you so. I told you, Moses. But they too had forgotten God's power. How easy it is for us to forget God's work in the past. To forget His faithfulness. To forget His provision. One of my favorite stories the kids used to always remind me of is we were on a road trip and we were uh, coming home, uh, going home to see my parents in Alabama. We'd stopped somewhere and we were walking back to the car. I used to love this story and I was, we were walking back to the car. I couldn't remember where my keys were. I was like, where are my keys? Have you, have you seen my keys? They said, Dad, they're right there in your hand. Sure enough, we are tempted and easily to forget. But Lamentations, I've been meditating on this passage. Lamentations 3, 21 through 26 says this over the past month. He says, but this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. This is what I remember so that I can have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. We sang about it. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Remember, don't forget... God's love is forever. His mercies are new each day. Do you believe this? Do you recognize that in the morning? I love Psalm 23. The Lord is chasing us, right? That image, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of our life. We're tempted to forget God's past work, but also... We see in these verses, we, we, we desire our old lives, right? It says it would be better if we stayed in Egypt. Have the people forgotten the endless work? Have they forgotten the beatings they took? And they said, I wish I could go back. They romanticized the past. We're to remember the past, but church, we're not to live in the past. There's a season... For all things. How easy it is for us to get caught up in the past. I remember when the church did this program. I remember when the church sang this song. I remember when the church had this leader. Focusing on what we had, hear this, instead of what we have is the mark of a discontent heart which fails to see God's blessing today. I'm going to say it again. I like that. 
Focusing on what we had instead of what we have is the mark of a discontent heart which fails to see God's blessing today. Israel wanted to go back, but it was not best for them. God is doing something new. God in His providence is leading His people and leading us today. Jesus said it like this in Luke 9, 62. He says, No one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Philippians 3, Paul said it like this, Brother, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenly in Christ Jesus. We are to remember the past, but we are not to stay in the past and romanticize the past, but live in faith today. I know we have some students who just turned 16 or are turning 16 pretty soon. And uh, I'm going to give you guys some driver's advice, okay? A rearview mirror is important on your car. You can look at the back of my Altima. You can see that a rearview mirror is important. If you haven't seen the back of my car, I got a little, got a little dent there. But when you're driving down the road... You do not constantly stay looking in that rearview mirror. When you're driving down that road, you focus on what is ahead. Remember the past. It's helpful. His mercies are new each day. But God is doing something new for us. Do you believe that He has a plan for us? Look forward, believing in faith. So if truth two is, is this or is that, truth three is the Lord's salvation. Verse 13 through 14, my, 13 and 14, my favorite verses. The Lord's salvation is completely His work. Oh, I love it. Moses hears the people's complaints. I'd probably be right there with him. Moses, you sure you know what you're doing? But he stands up and delivers a message to God's people. Moses, think about this, does not yet know how God will deliver them. All he knows is that certainly God would help. And what is his message as the Egyptian army is, is raging behind them and, and there's a sea in front of them and, and there's nowhere to go. What is his message? Fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord. He says, fear not. Fear not. Genesis 15. God tells Abraham, Fear not, Abram. I'm a shield and the one who rewards you in great advance. In Genesis 26, God tells Abraham's son Isaac, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you. God tells Jacob in, in Genesis 46, 3, Then he said, I am the Lord. I am the God of your father. Fear not, go down to Egypt. Here in Exodus, Moses 
is commanded to tell the people, fear not. In Numbers, Joshua and Caleb, as they go spy out the land, the ten, uh, the twelve spies, ten of them give bad report, but, but Joshua and Caleb said, fear not, they are but bread for us. We can take the land. In 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha, as he, a Syrian army is, 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 is approaching, he tells his servant, he tells his servant, fear not. And he tells the Lord to open his eyes. They are chariots and horses, chariots of fire and horses surrounded them. Fear not. In 1 Chronicles, David told Solomon, fear not and do not, be not dismayed, for the Lord your God is God, even my God. And my favorite verse, Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. An angel comes to Mary, who's a virgin, and the angel says to Mary, Fear not, you have found favor with the Lord. An angel then comes to Joseph, who didn't want to take Mary as his wife, and says, Fear not. When the promised Messiah baby is born and an angel appears to the angel, appears to the shepherds, they say, fear not. When this precious baby grows up in Matthew chapter 10, he says, fear not. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and one of them falls to the ground? Does the father not know of it? Fear not, he takes care of the sparrows, he will take care of you. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. Some say there are over 365 fear nots in the Bible, one for every day of the year. God knows how easy it is for us to be fearful. He knows how easy it is to worry for the future. But why is it that we do not need to fear? Is it because we have strength? Is it because we have some great power and can control things? No. It is because God is with us. God fights for us. He says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you. If God is for us, it doesn't matter if a raging Egyptian army is coming for us. Who can be against us? What can separate us from the love of God? So tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a promise for us. Fear not. God is with you. God is for you. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. So Moses says, fear not. He said, stand firm to set or station oneself. is to take one stand. Moses instructs God's people, do not fear. Do not shrink down, but stand firm. And notice the next phrase, see the salvation of the Lord. Israel is not going to save itself. Israel is hopeless. The Egyptian army is too big 
It is too mighty. 600 chariots coming for them. It's not going to be their own power. But it's only going to be the power of the Lord that saves. What does he tell the, the Israelites to do? The end of verse 14, he says, The Lord will fight for you. You only to be silent. Zip it. You're complaining. You're coming to me. I am in control. I am going to work it out. Just as Moses and the people of God will be saved this day through God's work, the same is true for us believers today, right? Our only hope of salvation is relying on God's work, not our own. We are sinful people in need of a Savior, and it's not our work that's going to bring salvation, but it's only through Christ. Galatians 3. Galatians 3.10, hear these words. Last week I was reading these. It says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. So, relying on the works of the law, we worrying on our good deeds, relying on those things that we think are positive for us, says we are under a curse. Meaning God's judgment, God's wrath is upon us. He says, why? For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. We can't do it all. Therefore, God is perfectly holy. We are sinful. And so therefore, we have a problem. Our sin separates us from God and a righteous, holy God must punish sin. But how does he do it? Notice verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. God sent His Son Jesus, who lived the perfect life for us, and He became the curse for us. He took the punishment. He took the wrath that we deserved. I always heard the picture of it's as if you're standing in front of a dam that's as high as you can imagine. 20,000 miles high, 20,000 miles wide. And the dam breaks and the water is coming rushing for you. God's wrath is coming upon those who reject Him and who are sinful and who rebel against Him. And as that dam is broken, Jesus Christ steps up right in front of you and drinks it all up and says, It is finished. No wrath for us, no judgment for us, not because of our righteousness, but because Christ did it for us. He took, the, he took the punishment and He lived the righteous life for us. And so therefore, we need only to see the salvation of the Lord. Look and behold Christ and be saved this day. The salvation is all the Lord's work. Final truth we see from this story, verse number 15. 
is we need to go forward trusting in God's promise. This is an interesting verse for me. The Lord says to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Why do you cry to me, Moses? It's almost as if God is saying, Why are you still praying? Enough! There's a time to pray, and now God says there's a time for action. The Lord says to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people to go forward. I've spoken to you. I've delivered my word. Now obey and be obedient to what I've said. Oh, I'm guilty of this. Lord, are you sure this is what you want me to do? God, I don't know. Let me pray about it another day. Let me think about it. I'm not sure if you're really calling me to do this. But the Lord tells Moses, go for it. Go for it in faith. Trust in my promises. You've prayed. Now you go forward believing. And what happens? The glorious salvation of the Lord. Verse 16 says, Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry land. And so verse 21 and 22, we see this is what Moses does. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of of the sea on dry, gland, dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand, on the left. The Egyptian army, they continue to pursue. They think, oh, we can do this too. Verse 26 through 29, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into, into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of, of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and His servant Moses. And in chapter 15, the people celebrate God's faithfulness. The enemy was destroyed. God rescued His people. The people needed only to go forward in faith. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, Hebrews eleven twenty nine 29 says. This morning, I do not know where you are. I do not know if you're trapped in a situation or if God is calling you to move forward. Maybe you're in a situation where there seems to be no 
way. God can make a way. He is with you. For the unbeliever today, see the salvation of the Lord. For you individually, what is the Lord calling you to do? Trust in His promise. He is with you. Fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, you only to be silent. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And God, I pray that you would speak to hearts now as you've been doing throughout this time together. God, give us faith to believe. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.